Hey there, welcome back. We are so pumped to be bringing you today's episode all about how to transition your business to a new city. When I first launched my business in Denver, I was already connected and my marketing strategies looked much different than when I moved to Texas and knew no one. So today we'll be talking about online and in-person ways for you to really connect and be known in a new city. This can be super hard for introverts like myself who really loathes group settings of strangers, but we'll give you practical tips no matter what your personality type may be. Let's dive into episode 12. How do you start a business in a new city? Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Kate. How are you? Great. And hi, friends listening today. Hello, hello. This is a topic I'm, I'm, a big, I'm excited about every topic, but I'm really excited about talking about how to start a business in a new city because I am about to move to a new city. I know we've been able to do these recordings in person in Waco and now you're going to be in Waco and I'm going to be in Atlanta. I know I'm, I don't think the reality has actually set in, um, yet. No, but anyway, so this is a topic that I think we both, well, so I moved from Denver about a year ago and did a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today. Um, some of them I haven't done. There are things that you've done. So it'll be good to hear kind of what we've both done to, to establish ourselves here in Waco. Um, I know Leslie, you moved here and launched your business as soon as you got here. So I think it's important to also share with our listeners today that this, while our focus is going to be on transitioning your business, kind of with the assumption that you already have a business that's up and running, I think it also is valuable for anybody who might just be getting started and think about this as a marketing episode. So how do you market your business? Um, so it's not just about moving, but that is kind of the, the bend to it today. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. When I came from LA to Waco, I had been working in the design industry already for 10 years, but not self-employed. So my move was also going on my own for the first time. So absolutely, the stuff that we've got to share today is relevant, whether you are established and changing location, or if you are getting started in the same place you've always been. I think it's really important to look at the city you are working in with fresh eyes and you almost have to treat it as if you're new, especially if you've been there for a while and are kind of settled in a certain way of doing things or thinking about things. So hoping we've got some great tips for you to take action where you are now, or if you are making the transition in the next little while, or like me in like a week, (laughs) which will probably be happening by the time this episode airs, which is so crazy. Oh my gosh. I know. And we still have to talk about when your going away party is going to happen. I know. Side note. Hey, so two things that we'll be focusing on today are um, your online presence, but also your in-person opportunities that you have. So it's going to be important as we're talking through these to balance your the way that you're marketing yourself, both um, online and in-person. Now, do as I say, not as I do. I am... I tend to be a homebody and I'm the type of person who enjoys doing marketing from behind my computer. I don't think that's the best way to do it. I think you definitely need to get out there and show your face and be known. Leslie is definitely the champion when it comes to getting out there and meeting people and and being known. I've definitely gotten better, but it wasn't a strong suit of mine. Um, and I've had to, I've had to really practice it. And so I practice it through less formal interactions and we can, we'll talk about that a little bit as we, as we dive in. So, and also I think it's important too, Leslie, you were really good about this. You knew that you were moving to Waco and had some time to start developing a name for yourself here before you even had boots on the ground, so to speak. I, on the other hand, had about a month before We moved here and was way too busy figuring out the logistics of a move across country to even start thinking about how my business would um, develop. So I did these things once I got here, but you certainly could 
start doing many of these things prior to even getting to your new location if you happen to have that luxury of, of time. Absolutely. That is something that we had a good amount of notice. I mean, my my husband had graduated with his master's and we always knew a move was coming for him to do his PhD. And we found out, I think probably five or six months before we officially left, that that was going to be our next move to Waco. So I did start, I want to say January, I started hiring a business coach, learning what I needed to do, getting things in place, and we moved in July. So that gave me a good amount of time to start making connections, working on online marketing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do. So I would love to dive in, Kate, because you mentioned earlier about in-person networking kind of being my thing. And I will admit, I feel like I'm pretty strong in that area, but it's been a learned skill. I'm not an extrovert. I do not enjoy small talk. And that has been something I have overcome every single meeting or event I go to. It gets easier and easier. So I will say that, but Kate, there's so much... I can learn from you, that our listeners can learn from you, because I feel like you are the queen of marketing yourself online. I mean, you do a Google search for Waco Interior Designers and boom shakalaka, guess who is the first paid result that comes up? And I've been really impressed with how you've used online marketing to grow your business. I mean, you had clients right after you got here. I think it took me a few months before I ever had anybody paying me. So I would love to hear about your Google ads and how you got started with that and what that looked like for you. Because it sounds like it was, I mean, you know, you weren't rolling in all the cash, but you got some great leads quickly. So tell us how you did that because um, I want to do it too (laughs) in Atlanta. Well, um, it's going to be an underwhelming answer. I literally like clicked on the button for create a Google ad and filled in some information, gave my credit card info and decided on a budget. And that was it. What was the information you filled in? I think that's the secret sauce. What did you, well, wording, what keywords, like tell me about Google AdWords and what that meant for you with Google ads. So back in Denver, all of my clients were word of mouth and I moved to a city where I didn't know anybody. So the only thing I could think of to do right off the bat was at least create, um, a Google ad. So if somebody was to search for Waco interior designer, I would at least be an option for them. I basically found some of the best images that I wanted to share and wanted to be known for, and then provided a description of the services that I provide. When you go in to create these ads, it walks you through step-by-step what information you need to put. And there is a character limit on them. So you have to be succinct it's really simple. And it, the, the setup process, they just walk you through step by step. I do believe that they also have a, a phone number or contacts. I know Google, you can call Google and you can get help with creating AdWords that utilize the best words. So the way it works is you, you need to create relevant ads or excuse me, relevant search terms that reflect what, what it is that you do. So even though like kitchen renovation isn't necessarily in the language of my ad, if somebody is searching for kitchen renovation, I would probably show up as well. Um, I do a lot of kitchens, so I, and I like doing them. So that was important to me to include that as a search term. And I just came up with search terms that I wanted um, to reflect you know, the type of client that I was looking for. So that was it. I also, you can create multiple ads. So you can create a local ad for, for the general area that you want to serve. You can get as specific as I think the zip code. I I don't know if you can get any more specific than that. Um, but I also, because Waco is a small town, it is to me, um, a small town. Yeah. I also targeted the Austin and Georgetown area. Georgetown is a town in between Austin and here. And I got a lot of my clients that way as well. So in addition to your local area, I recommend also looking at the cities that are around you that are close enough that, that you could serve them and create a separate ad for them that has similar search terms, but you change the geo targeting and the the location. And then you set a budget. And I think my budget is like $100 a month. And anytime somebody clicks on your ad, 
you get charged and the more clicks you get, the more it costs, <laughs> but that's fine. Cause that's kind of the idea. And so you just want to create an ad that has a clear call to action and a way to contact you. I love that. So you mentioned that you targeted both Waco, which for those of you who aren't familiar, the population's about 125,000 ish in this area, but also Austin. So Waco definitely has that small town vibe. Did you have any luck getting Google AdWord clients in Waco or were most of your clients in Austin that responded to the online ad? Oh, I got them here as well. Interesting. Yeah. I have I found- will say that I, I will say though that a lot of times, especially with higher end clientele, they're not necessarily Googling for interior designers. They're asking their friends. That's yeah. just the fact. So the clients that I did get from Google were a combination of people who had just relocated here as well, which is often an impetus for needing design work because there's a a lot of my clients are experiencing some kind of a big life change. Um, so they're new to town. So they don't necessarily have a friend base to ask and get recommendations or they tend to be my young, my younger clients who um, perhaps become e-design clients, not always, uh, but sometimes. So that is the client base that I experienced with people that were new to town or a younger population. Yeah. And Google is so, powerful as a tool. I love that it worked for you. I have not had the courage to pay money to Google to do this. I always feel like, what if you're just spending money and it doesn't go anywhere? But those are really great tips. I wanted to talk to you about your Google search results page. Like say someone searches for a Kate Bendewald interior design or a Leslie Myrick art and design on the right-hand side, even if they just search for your name, there's sort of this nice looking results thing with your business name and your map and your address. If you have a Google business page set up and there it shows your ratings, your social media profile. It's a really valuable thing. So even if you are not moving, actively be asking for Google reviews, do what you can to build up your presence on Google because it really does matter. And I want to give you a word of caution. I jumped ahead and because I'm moving, I started changing my location in you know, anywhere I could online. So all of my, my website, my online presence already says Atlanta, even though I'm still in Waco because I want to start that ball rolling. Uh, I got in trouble with the Googs because I don't live there yet and I tried to change it and they have shut down my business page. So my SEO and my search results are in the toilet right now. My awesome five-star reviews that I have on Google don't show up anywhere. I'm in the process of resolving it for them, but it's been weeks and weeks and they still have not reinstated my page, my Google My Business page. And so I feel like that's negatively affecting me. And I just wanted to give you guys a heads up if that's something you were thinking of. So can I be, be clear? Careful. How did, how, can I ask you a question? How did they, so you created your Google ad or your business profile for a different city preemptively well, here's and did what they happened. flag that as like suspicious activity or what? What happened was, I don't know how this happened with my old Gmail address. I have one listing from when I lived in California and with my current email address, I have another listing that is Waco, Texas. I don't even know how that is possible. I've been trying to fix that for years and haven't been able to. When I went to change my current business listing, listing to Atlanta, not only could it not change because I couldn't verify a street address because we'd, we haven't closed on our home yet, um, they noticed that I had two business pages and I think both of those things go against their terms of service. Now, I didn't intentionally have two business pages. I've been trying to figure out how to shut down the old one. All that to say, if you do things ahead of schedule, I don't know if I would have gotten flagged just for the address change that didn't have a street address to go along with it. Because you might not know this, but even if you don't want to put your Google street address publicly online, you have to provide it to Google. They don't show it, but you have to give them a street address. Yeah. Well, I have, I've run into a similar issue where I did put in my address, not realizing that it was going to show up. And I don't know, whatever thing I had selected, which obviously was different than yours, it now shows um, my address. So I had to work. I don't even know if it's still showing. But anyway, it, it for the longest time, 
yeah, it still shows my my personal home address, which yeah. I don't love. But I'm sure a lot have... of us that's a problem. We have yeah, yeah. So just just be careful about how you set it up. Ask, use, take advantage of the the um, resources that Google offers to get help and getting you set up. Um, once you are set up, uh, you will have a Google Ads dashboard where you can see metrics. I know you were saying you just didn't know if it was going to have the impact or value. Right. Yeah. And we're talking to be clear. I was talking more about your Google, my business page, which is just your free public listing for your business on the internet. Kate's talking more specifically about AdWords, which is the paid advertising side of Google. Yeah. Well, so the Google ads, once you do that, you'll have a dashboard that shows your impressions, your clicks, how much you've spent and what search phrases are, are popular. So that's awesome. So it is a great tool. It's powerful. And just be mindful you're following the Goob's rules, lest they shut down your page with fury and fire. And then you're a poor victim of losing your 13 five-star reviews that make you look awesome on the internet. You'll get it fixed. I know. It just It's taken a while, but it will get fixed. And there is value in it. So I'm definitely going to keep pushing towards that. So that's one big online component of marketing yourself in a new city. I think, can we stick with, can we stick with the online presence for a minute before we turn into the in-person stuff? Um, Because they're, I feel like they're closely related. So this is something I think you do really well, um, but that's really optimizing your Facebook Mm. profile. Um, We're talking personal profile, right? Not your business page? Well, both. I think that they are closely related, but the way you set up each one, there's a way to set up both your personal and your business so that they're optimized. So for me personally, I don't friend anyone on my personal page that I don't actually personally know. That is really a place for my friends and family and, and I would say close acquaintances. Um, and I think I even have a note that says, this is my personal page. If you're interested in following me, head on over to my business page and then there's a link to it. But I've also been trained and I think this was by our shared coach, um, that there are still ways to optimize your personal page so that it's, it demonstrates what it is that you do and, and really tells that story. Yes. So, um, and then there's also Facebook ads, which I think we'll get to in a second, but, um, on your personal page, there are a couple of things that you can do to optimize it. Even if you choose to not friend every Tom, Dick and Harry that comes your way, um, So under your name, you can add a job description. If you go to your profile, you click the little pencil. um, I think it's actually called a nickname. Nickname, is that it? I think so, but we utilized it. Or it can be like an alternate name. Like say it's your maiden name or another name people would know you. You and I have used it as our job description. Precisely. So mine, it says Kate Bendewald, and underneath it, it says interior designer. So that's one way that I've utilized it so people know what I do. The other thing is on the left-hand column where you see the intro section, I have put a description of what I do. So that's another area that you can tell that story. And then just below that, there's a section to add your work. And so for me, I've included a link to my business page. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. So even though it is your personal account and you're sharing personal things, it took me a while to get on board with this and really see the value of it because I really shied away from sharing anything business on my personal page. I didn't want people to feel like I was spamming them or just pushing my business. But the people that are your friends and family, they want to know what's going on in your business. They want to see the beautiful portfolio images you're sharing and the cool behind the scenes stuff. And there is a way to do it tactfully and tastefully to share your the work side of you on your personal page and still have it feel authentic and not like you are trying to sell to your friends and family group with every single post. Totally. I'm, I'm not a fan of, I, I'm with you. I, I was late to share my personal or excuse me, my business stuff on my personal page. I now share occasionally things that I'm working on and it gets great responses. I never, ever, ever sell or pitch on my personal page. Me neither. That's, and that's a choice that I make. Uh, I know plenty of people that use their personal page solely as, as their business marketing platform. And that's another option. It's just how, not how I've chosen to use it. 
I believe that also. I really use it to share like pictures of my kids. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I mean, I don't know. I haven't dug into this. There's a lot of direct MLM companies where your only avenue to have a web presence is your personal Facebook page. And I see so many people just spamming their feed with sale pitch after sale pitch after sale pitch. I'm pretty sure that actually goes against Facebook's terms. Don't quote me. I, but I'm fairly certain the intent of Facebook is if you have a business and are selling businessy things that belongs on a business page. Not to say you can't share some things on your personal. I do find people seem to be abusing it lately and kind of taking advantage of their friends as a captive Leslie's audience. also a rule follower, so. I also, oh, guys, I'm, <laughs> if you also have a business selling some sort of multi-level marketing product, I have no problem with that. I think there are a lot of great companies. It's not for me. But if another friend, I use that word loosely, adds me on Facebook that I don't know and we have one friend in common that I barely know and I see that their entire feed is just buy this product, buy this cleanse, buy this thing I'm selling. Like I'm going to freak. I don't know why people think that's an effective marketing tactic. I used to friend them anyway thinking maybe they really want to connect. Maybe they like my work. Nope. All they do is invite me to their pages and try to sell me crap. And I say, bye-bye. Anyway, rant over. Facebook is good. Use it well. (laughs) What else are you doing online? And what more can we do with Facebook, because we talked about the personal page. How are you optimizing your business page too, Kate? Sure. So there are a couple of things that I've done. I obviously updated the location of my business. So that was a big one. The other thing is I, I didn't want to give up my old number so quickly. Uh, so I created a, a local Google number and it actually comes to my cell phone under the Google app. So I know if the Google phone app rings on my phone that that's probably a business inquiry. Uh, So that is on there as an option to to reach out to me. But I just felt that that gives me this extra layer of being local and accessible um, as well. Um, Besides that, I really just, I haven't gotten into Facebook ads. I have been told that they can be very effective and I believe them. I don't know why I'm having hesitation. Maybe it's the same reason that you have. I'm just like, I don't think my clients are on Facebook, but the people I've talked to (laughs) that know a lot about this tend to disagree with me. So it's something I might try out as an alternative to Google AdWords for a bit, but generally speaking, um, I I know that you can market to very, very targeted audiences. And that's the benefit of, of the Facebook ads more targeted than, than Google AdWords. There's some really cool stuff and I haven't dug too deep into this. I've just been dipping my toe into paid Facebook ads, but you can create things called lookalike audiences. So you can say, you know, here's my ad. I want it to reach people just like the people that already like my business page and it will find other people who meet the same criteria. So you're marketing to the type of people you already know are your ideal clients or are interested in your work. And it, Facebook is smart enough to reach new people for you because come on, we know Facebook knows everything about everybody. And so it is an incredibly powerful tool worth doing your homework before diving into advertising. Cause I think it's also very easy to, make mistakes and pay for ads that are ineffective, but they are inexpensive. You can set very low budgets and it also is a bit of wiggle room to kind of test things out and see what sticks. I like that. I might try it for a bit, see if it has any yields, any results. I think the important thing to recognize here is that marketing 101 tells us that people buy from people who they know like and trust. And yes. so if you can create a Facebook personal or business page that really shows your personality in addition to your work that and also if you if you think about the psychology of like oh so and so when people come to your page they can see who else likes your page. So if they see that a friend of theirs likes your page, they're going to be more likely to like it as well and to follow you as well. Totally. Um, so keep it personable <laughs> on your, on your business page as well. 
and um, recognize that there's value in friending people because people buy from who they know, like, and trust. Yeah. And <laughs> before, mm, go ahead. Um, I don't, I don't know what you're going to say, but there's one thing you told me earlier that I didn't want to skip over, which was, that's exactly where I was going. Okay, Facebook the fa- messaging. importance of messaging, Facebook messaging and, and how that works on your business page specifically yeah. is what we're talking tell what, about. Tell us what you know. Right. So you know how, when you go to a Facebook business page and there's something that's like, you know, hundred percent response rate, 30 minutes, average response time, Facebook publicly displays how quickly you respond to messages. So that's super important. If you have a Facebook business page, make sure you are either getting notified of messages or checking it daily and responding because that information goes public. And if someone comes to your page and they say, and they see something that says, you know, so-and-so interior design has a 50% response rate, well, they're a lot less likely to take the time to send you a message if they don't even think you're going to bother returning their inquiry. And one thing I've learned about it, you need to respond to every message. Even if someone wraps up the conversation and they're like, great, thanks for your time. Facebook sees that last message from them as an unanswered message, as far as I understand. So I always make sure, and it feels like you keep trying to sneak in the last word, but I think it's really important to respond to every, okay, bye. Okay, great. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Bye. And I mean, you know, and try to do it in a way that makes sense, but I think it's really important to respond to every message and every message within a conversation. Make sure you're the last one talking. Facebook sees that as you being attentive and responsive and you get rewarded in how they show that on your public profile. If you go to someone's page and they have a hundred percent response rate, you know, as a potential client, that's a low barrier to entry. Someone is going to respond to you. You're not kind of shooting an email out into the void and seeing what happens. So there is major value in that social perception of what people see when they get to your page. So make sure that if you have messaging set up and I don't think it's optional that you are finding a way, whether it's you whether it's done by an assistant, and we're going to talk about that in the next episode, um, find a way to acknowledge and respond to every single message that comes your way. It just helps. that you know, one more subtle cue for people that they see that you're freaking legit and you're on top of it and you're responsive and you communicate well. It's all going to help you get established in a new city and help build your street cred. How do you, what do you say to people um, who, so this is the hesitation that I've had where I really don't want people reaching out to me through Facebook. I really want to drive them to my website. I want them to take the time to look at my portfolio. I want them to really read about the type of work that we do so that they can predetermine whether they even think I might be a good fit before they reach out. And Somebody who just, I feel like somebody that reaches out to me through Facebook is somebody who's not serious about the design process or this is, this doesn't mean this is true. This has just been my perception. I feel like it's almost an impulsive response to reach out through that way. I've never used Facebook messaging to reach out to people that I'm trying to hire. That's just me, but I will go to their website. I don't know. That what do you say to that? Because that's been my feeling all along is that my high-end clientele, they're not going to come to me directly through Facebook. They might find me through Facebook, but then I really want to encourage them to go to my website because that's where the information is about us and our work. That's such a good question. And you're right that maybe your ideal client is not going to find you on Facebook. So there's something to be said about that. I have found There are people, I think, who are intimidated by the formality and the process of getting started with a designer through their website. Like on my website, my main call to action is book a call. It's through Acuity Scheduler. We've talked about our business tools. I think it's episode three. And they can get on my calendar really quick. It's a pretty low barrier to entry. But I think there's some people who Maybe they're not comfortable booking a call right away or don't really, they might think they're going to be, you know, locked into something just by booking a call or following the typical process. I feel like people that go to the Facebook channel are looking for 
I don't want to say it's a cry for help, but it's sort of like, hey, I want to just talk to an actual person. Help me out here. And mm-hmm. Facebook Messenger has worked well for me. I even have a little widget on my website. If You, you can see it at lesliemyrick.com. We've also got the same one at designersgettingcoffee.com. There is a little Facebook chat bubble in the lower right-hand corner. And so if someone comes to our websites, they can shoot us a quick message and it goes right to our Facebook inbox. Now, the reason I like that is because you are capturing people in the moment when they are excited. And it's funny, Kate, you mentioned that you think, you know, that them being excited and caught in the moment might be a negative and it could, but I can give you a specific example. Last Friday morning, I got a Facebook message. They actually found me, they were on the website and they messaged me through the Facebook widget there. And within 10 minutes, this new client had booked a phone call because in my response, I sent her the link and let her know the next step. And then we had a call that afternoon and she is a great potential new client. And this all happened within the span of six hours. Wow. So I do think there is some value in being attentive, being accessible, breaking down barriers to entry. That being said, Kate, your point is awesome in that your ideal clients might not communicate that way. That might not be how the kind of clients you want are the kind of people who are zipping around on their phone on Facebook Messenger. Maybe your target demographic is retired and a much higher income bracket. They're probably not sitting on their smartphone sending you a quickie message through Messenger. So if you do not want messages, I believe through the Facebook business manager, I don't think you can do this with personal, but through business, I believe you can set up autoresponders. So if someone messaged you, you can set an instant reply and it could even say, you know, hey, thanks for your message. This this message box is unmonitored. Please visit us at blah, blah, blah link to get more information. We're excited to talk to you kind of thing. Something that is warm and encouraging and also clearly explains, A, you don't check this message box and B, here is the proper channel that I prefer to start a project. Yeah. That's good to know. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Leslie. My pleasure. And these, you know, I'm realizing these tips don't seem as location specific in terms of moving a business as maybe you might think, but they're all part of creating your marketing plan, your online marketing. All these little things play into how you're perceived, how people interact with you. And when you're in a new city, if you show up guns blazing, you got your ish together it's only going to help attract your ideal clients more knowing that you do communicate, you do respond, you're targeting the right people with online marketing. And it's a great way to hit the ground running because you can set a lot of this up before you even move to a new city. Yeah. But I think the Facebook stuff is really location specific. That's my opinion. I agree. And I wanted to ask you about Facebook groups because that's something that our our past shared mutual coach um, encouraged us to do was to join local Facebook groups, whether it's mom's groups, um, local interest groups of the kind of things your clients are into, say food or wine or travel. And I suspect that works really well in some areas Mm -hmm. and it doesn't in others because I don't know about the cities you guys are in listening. There's some amazing mom's groups in different cities. Kate, I know you can tell us about the one. Uh. And I don't, I don't want to say too much, but let's just say the Waco moms groups that I have found, uh, my ideal clients are not hanging out in there full stop. So that hasn't worked for me in Waco, but Kate, tell us about Denver. Sounds like it was amazing for you to find this moms community on Facebook and you got lots of clients from it. My Highlands mommies, which was the area of town that we lived in Facebook group was full stop, like my bread and butter for the last couple of years, but I used it a lot. Like I didn't go there and market myself, but I interacted with the group as it was, as a mommy's group. And I asked questions. It was a very advice driven group. It would, but it's helpful stuff like, Hey, our family's thinking about going to Mexico this summer, any kid friendly cities that you guys have been to that you enjoy. And then people will chime in or, you know, recommendations on, things to do on rainy days. And so if you join those groups and you become active and participate, then people start to recognize your name and who you are. They might visit your personal page and see that, oh, you're an interior designer. 
but I also did some local events and workshops and um, meet and greets that I could promote on that website when it was the right time. So Denver was a super hot market. One of the things that I did was a, and this ties into another one of our points is to host a workshop. So I, I would promote those uh, workshops on that page as well because they were free and they were helpful and people started to recognize that I was, you know, this designer in the area. So um, the, that particular group was outstanding. And anytime somebody asked for a recommendation on an interior designer, I would always come up, which I was very proud of, honestly. Um, and not certainly not to disparage the group here, but it's just not the same. The, the focus of topics are much different. And uh, I just have found that it doesn't have the same you know, uh, focus. So I, well, I, I did, I did try that because it was so successful and I certainly will go in there and poke around and ask questions sometimes when it comes to like family or mom stuff. But, um, it's not a, it's not a place where my clients are. I think a big difference is you mentioned that yours was neighborhood specific. It was small. Do you remember how, roughly how many members, like, are we talking a few dozen, a few hundred, <laughs> the, I know that some of the Waco moms groups, I mean, they're in the thousands. There's dozens of new posts today. I can't keep up. There are so 2,600 members. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a good size and you know, you can't count on all of them being active and engaged, but I want to just reiterate something that Kate stated a couple of times and it is so important. You have to be in these groups and engage and bring mm -hmm. real value. You can't be the Hey, look at me. I'm selling something. Hey, because look at me. I'm selling something. Not to name work. But there's already, there's a group that does that and it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And so, yeah, connecting in new cities, that's actually something I was in um, Atlanta just this week, actually scoping out our new house. And I met an awesome new friend who runs a cool mom's group. And I'm so excited to join her Facebook group and connect. And, you know, I love how those little leads can start taking you places down the line. Like it's almost like following the rabbit trail and you get a lead for one group and you meet this person and it connects you to this person. So I will say, yeah, it's a lot of work to keep up with these Facebook groups and to comment and bring value. And it's part of your marketing strategy, period. It's not just socialization. It's great for that too. But this is something you need to be carving out deliberate time for in your schedule to engage with these groups, engage with these potential clients, and be part of their communities. Dive in with them. Yeah, I agree. One last thought before we move on. Just I didn't I didn't mean to sound like you should never sell on these groups, um, but pepper them in between your regular, friendly, normal, authentic posts. Um, it, you know, and it could even be like. Hey neighbors, I just had a project go on hold. So I've got some availability for a new client starting next month. If anybody needs something, reach out to me, you know, or I'm hosting this workshop. It's free. Come join those sort of things, but, um, be strategic in it and, and be authentic. Have you heard of the book Jab, 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 Right Hook by, I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary, I, ha I have. Well, if for those of you who are not familiar with it, the concept is this. It's about, it's a book about social media marketing Jab, 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 three pieces of content that are just bringing value, information, whatever, not selling. And the right hook is the pitch, the sales. But the important part with that is noticing the proportion. Three posts at least bringing value, not selling, connecting. And then you can throw in a pitch every now and then. That's the same for your business page too. Yes, totally. And it's Instagram. Just, yeah. Even if it's a business page, every post cannot be selling. Every And post, your blog posts. Amen. It's you everything need to be you do. giving great information to get people engaged with you. And then every so often you can pitch them something that's going to be of value to them. And you've already built trust with all the great information you're providing, with all the engagement you're giving. This stuff takes so much time and effort. This is not the paid stuff you can do like Facebook ads and Google ads. This is the blocking off 15 minutes every morning to respond to people, to like, to share, to be a valuable presence in the online communities you want to be working in. So true. 
Well, Leslie, I know we have a lot to talk about in the in-person world. Is there anything that we want to talk about as before we move on about like Instagram and how people can utilize that? Yeah. For me, it would be the same kind of tips as on Facebook, change your location, location tag, all your pictures as you post them. I don't necessarily tag where the picture was taken. I tag where I want people to see it. So I'm currently posting pictures of my Waco projects and I'm tagging the location as Atlanta, Georgia, so that people who are looking in that area will start to find me and use location specific hashtags too. People love their local hashtags, like hashtag Waco town, hashtag Waco TX. There's a bunch even for our city, which isn't that big. Learn what the hashtags are in the cities you want to work in, in the neighborhoods you want to work in, and with the people you want to work with. Yeah. I think the neighborhoods thing is, is really beneficial as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's dive into some of the ways we can do in-person marketing. Once you're on the ground running, you're, you've moved, you're settled in, the boxes are unpacked. (laughs) What are some of the things that um, have been the most helpful for you, Leslie, as you got started? The number one local marketing thing that has worked the best for me is that uh, Waco has a local, a couple local magazines, but they have one called the Waco. And most cities of a decent size have one, if not many, several local publications. I literally cold pitched them and told them I was a designer. I was a design writer and a stylist. I was moving to the city and I would love to write for them and support their magazine. And I got a column. So I have had a monthly home column in Waco for more than three years now. And that has been gold for getting known because every month it's my images. So I use a lot of my portfolio images. It's my head. My face is on every article. And it's 800 words of me bringing value to the local community. I realize this is not a tactic that will work for everybody. There's only so many spots and not everybody has a passion for writing. But that has been so cool with just getting known, getting recognized, people being aware of me and my work. And I do get a good number of clients when I ask how they've heard about me. Their answer is directly Waco and Magazine, but it's also one of those things that just builds credibility. It's one yeah. other place, one other layer where people see you, they get to know you, they see the value they're bringing. So that's kind of, if, you, if you've got the lady balls and are oh interested God, in doing something. hilarious little phrases. <laughs> like, I need a whole book of Leslieisms. That's I will write that book. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. All that to say, it takes some courage and it's, guys, it's work to produce a column every month. And this is on top of my social media content, my blog content, my other writing. These are additional images. Is work. But I can honestly say the recognition I've gotten and the clients I've gotten because they've seen me write for the Waco and every month for more than three years now has been huge. I believe it. Let's let's assume for a minute that you don't have, as you call it, the lady balls to pitch <laughs> a magazine, you know, f- fresh, um, fresh in a new city. There are a couple of things that you could do to make an appearance in your local. The, the regional magazines and publications are so, so important. And there are a number of ways that you can, can do that. If you don't have a project right out of the gate, you could consider if your own home, if you feel like it's it's photo worthy, consider pitching them one of your you know your first project. As soon as you finish a project, pitch it to your local regional magazine. Um, my own home was featured in the same magazine, The Way Cohen. I don't. I didn't even, somebody reached out to me for that one. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pitch them because as uh, Leslie mentioned, I don't have the lady balls to do that, but I was very proud of that little spread. Her home looked and- incredible in this issue, you guys. I mean, like I, we talked about jealousy on a past episode and I got to oh. tell you when I saw her incredible, like five page spread of her home, 
next to my like rinky dink little article in the same oh, issue. Stop. I was like, oh, stop. Oh, girl. I mean, it just, it's gorgeous. It was such a great feature for you too, because it got you connected and established when you, you were pretty new. It was only like what's less than six months after you moved here, you got your home in the magazine. Uh, I did. And you, you can do the same. I, I say hire a really great photographer because that Amen. always helps. Um, hire a great photographer. Um, but don't be afraid to, to reach out to them. All they can say is no. Right. So, um, and local magazines are hungry your, for content. They are. And if it's not your own home, you know, as soon as you finish your first project, pitch it to them. And you know what? They might say no. And you're going to have to pitch it to lots of people. And that's okay too. I think we should do an episode on that later on is how to pitch and get press because it's an uphill climb. Yeah. <laughs> so don't be discouraged. I mean, I, th I think we're making it sound very easy. Pitch a magazine and you'll get a column. Ask them to photograph your home and they'll feature you. We realize these are not going to happen for everybody in every city. I think especially in the larger urban areas where there's just more. There's more people. There's more designers. There's more great work right. out there. Yeah. But these are th opportunities. If you have not considered them, they are worth thinking about and being vulnerable and putting yourself out there, putting your work out there and having the courage to, to reach out and be willing to hear a no guys. I get so many no's when I pitch. I love Domino magazine. I have been reading it since issue one. I pitch every damn project to them. And I always get kind responses, but it's always no. And I mean, this is years now of reaching out to the same couple editors and politely being told it's not the right fit. It's not the, what they're looking for. And you just have to keep showing up and pitching to get your work covered. I feel like you have a better chance with a local publication. And it's probably also more valuable to your business if you're moving to a new city to look regional for press instead of national. National's great. But I can tell you from experience, I have friends that have been in House Beautiful and other major publications, and one press article featuring your work does not a successful, thriving business make. You will not likely get one phone call inquiring about your work because someone's seen you in House Beautiful. You could, don't get me wrong, but I feel like press is... But when you put it on your website, that is really the... Bingo. It, it, it builds credibility. Right. It's visibility, but I think there's a misconception about a press feature being this magic bullet of you get a project featured and suddenly your phone's ringing off the hook and you're busy and rolling in money. I do not believe that will happen for most people. However, press is great. Other people talking about you, especially in a new city, is always going to be incredibly valuable I think I think you're right. I I would say both times I've been published, they've resulted in some phone calls and some projects. But um, by and large, it was the the fact that people would see this on the website. They're like, "Oh, that's cool. She's legit." I would say before we move on, a book that I know was helpful for me is Recipe for Press by Amy Flurry. Yes. So pick up that book if you have never pitched a magazine and aren't really sure how to do it and you're not in a position to hire a um, press agent, <laughs> then uh, this, is, this is a good one and, and it's specific to the interior design industry. So yeah. Um, all right. Well, so besides magazines, other online things I wanted to touch on, things that I did when I moved to Waco, I joined a BNI group. If you're not familiar with that, it's meant to say yeah. in person. No. Did I? Sorry. It's, I have not had enough of that coffee that's sitting in front of me. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about in-person marketing. My right, mistake. Right. So when I moved to Waco, I joined a BNI group, Business Networking International. There's local chapters everywhere. And there's only one person from any specific profession allowed in the group. So in my group, I was the only interior designer. The idea is that you build relationships with the people in your group. You're the designer they know and trust. They refer you. I will say BNI was incredibly valuable being in a new city at first because I knew nobody. So this connected me with my attorney, my bookkeeper, my not my bookkeeper, my CPA, my insurance agent. I met a lot of amazing people who helped me run my business. In my specific group, in this specific city, I did not get referrals that made it worth staying. So I was in the group about two and a half years and then I decided to leave. Would I do it again? 
maybe in a new city, I think there is some value in being in a professional organization like that. If you can find the right group that have the right people in the group that can really help refer you to the right new clients and you can confidently bring business to them. But when I move, I'm not planning to join again in Atlanta. I think the takeaway here is that it doesn't have to be a BNI group per se, but any sort of professional business organization or group could be helpful. So it could be your local ASID chapter. It could be, although that's probably not helpful, (laughs) AIA chapter, or there's a contractors group, there's a real estate group, meetup group. And if you can find the right type of industry professionals that are complementary to you, that could be beneficial. Yeah. If and in a different BNI group in a different city could be the exact thing that you need. But yeah. um not not worth discrediting altogether, um, I think is right. What we're trying to say. Other groups to keep your eyes open for, um, you could join a chamber of commerce, get connected with other local business owners. Home builders associations are great. In Waco, there are a lot of builders and only two or three designers. I feel like here specifically, it's a really untapped resource for designers. There's a few organizations in Waco specifically, but I imagine there's probably similar ones in other cities. We have one called A Thousand Friends of Waco, and it is business owners primarily downtown, but people who are really invested in the growth and business side of Waco. I've gotten direct clients from meeting people there. And I think there's one more. Oh, One Million Cups is a networking event that happens weekly. There's chapters all over the US and it's a weekly meetup of entrepreneurs and I've gotten clients I've met there too. So think of places where other, I want to say other professionals are hanging out because that's good too, but think of specifically who your clients are and where they would be spending their time. I mean, if you're a designer, a lot of us do really well pairing up with realtors. Find ways to connect with meetups at realtors offices or after hour events they have find the people who are your clients and the people that know your clients and can refer you as you build those trusting relationships with them. Right. So there are other, the big, the big question here is to ask yourself, where are my clients and who are my clients? You know, is your is your client working at McDonald's? Probably not. <laughs> is your client or a, a doctor or a lawyer or a high-end residential re- realtor? Think about where they are. So one of the biggest, most impactful things that I did that was in the on, sorry, the in-person world, and I really hesitated to go to the in-person marketing groups. I have anxiety in groups, I guess. I don't know. Um, but was to do something more, um, action oriented. So I joined, um, a couple of charity groups and began to volunteer on their boards because that was a way for me. If you're more introverted or you're more shy to connect with people where you're not necessarily chumming up your business. Um, for some people that is that, easy to do. And I have struggled with it. No, it's not wrong to do it that way. I just, I think (laughs) that anxiety around like, hi, I'm Kate. I'm an interior designer. This is what I do. I don't know why. So they ultimately find out what I do these other ways, but that was one way for me to get introduced to people locally that were, um, potentially my clients. And, and I didn't do it necessarily only for marketing. That was really a side a component of it, but I did it because these were organizations that I believed in what they were doing. I wanted to contribute and make a difference. So that came first. The other thing is sort of a side perk, um, so to speak. I think that's really smart. And I will say, I want to encourage everybody because I don't think connecting in person, whether it is with a structured network group, whether it is getting involved with a charity or nonprofit, to me and to most people I know, that's not going to be easy. It's not most people's base settings to be super comfortable in a new environment with all these new people and talk about what you do or find ways to serve. I mean, guys, this is hard stuff. Running your own business is challenging and it takes overcoming your struggles, overcoming your weaknesses to push through. If it were easy, everybody would do it. 
we are the ones that are in it to win it, who are willing to do the things that make us a little uncomfortable so that we get to do what we love. And for me, networking is a learned skill. I would rather die most days than go to a networking group. Now, once you get connected with one, it gets easier and easier and easier. But gosh, that first time you walk into any sort of new environment with a lot of people and have to introduce yourself and kind of be on, that takes so much courage. And I give you guys major props for having the guts to do that. I think it can be really easy to sit back at your computer and use online marketing. And it is a great tool. I don't mean that it's not, it shouldn't be part of your business strategy, but in a lot of markets, Waco included, being known, being seen, being in the community is huge for building those relationships, building trust and growing your business. And Kate, you said it perfectly earlier in Denver, all of your clients came from word of mouth. You don't get word of mouth clients if you don't leave your office. I think if you're somebody that's more like me and skip the coffee and breakfast meetup groups and find the happy hour groups. Yes, girl. (laughs) That will, that should take the edge off. Don't get hammered by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, I'm just saying if that makes it easier for you, there's no shame in that game. If you can go have a glass of wine and you feel um, more comfortable, do it. Um, so focus, um, too, on where your clients are and look at, um, joining charitable organizations. You're not the only one that's there for that reason as well. It's, there's a duality that exists, but people who volunteer with charity groups are most likely people of higher earnings, uh, and also have more time on their hands to participate in these groups. So that's a very clear, um, group of where people are, but there are also opportunities if you were to join a country club or here we have the Baylor club mm-hmm. where that is a, where a lot of people get to know people and participate in events that they have. And that's how you naturally begin to talk about what it is that you do in a way that doesn't feel like you're just there to market people buy from who they know, like, and trust. And so we talked about how that idea works in the online world, it continues to prevail in the in-person world. So yeah. um, really it's just, just go out and make friends. <laughs> that, that's totally go, it. Just go make friends. Um, yeah. yeah. But, and for me, that just felt more authentic and more natural and, and I didn't feel like I was being looked at in a way that was like, are you here to sell to me? It's like, no, I'm here to be your friend. I happen to be an interior designer. If you know anybody that needs an interior designer, give me a call. But um, that that might be more comfortable for some of our listeners. Um, Can we talk about um, hiring a coach for- Yes, that's uh, the last point I wanted to touch on before we wrap up today. Because that was huge for me. When I knew I was going to move from California to Texas- the first thing I did was hire a business coach because I did not know what to do. I did not know how to do it. I did not know how to price my services. Now, this was also four and a half years ago, and I think there's so much more information widely available, like on this podcast, like mm-hmm. in books and on blogs and websites. But having someone who you can connect with, whether it's one-on-one or a group mastermind, bounce ideas off of, get suggestions, hold you accountable is a huge part of that. I think there is tremendous value in working with a coach, especially in a time of transition. And my money is where my mouth is. I have signed up for a a not inexpensive mastermind group that I'm committed to for a year. And that started in March. And that's going to take me through the transition to Atlanta and then some, and I'll reevaluate next spring as to what my next coaching or mastermind move will be. But I'm making sure that I've got someone that I can go to, that I can get feedback from. I can share my struggles and ideas with the other members of the group. I think there's six of us. It is such an awesome investment to hire someone who has gone before you, who can show you the way for Mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I, I just want to agree with everything you said. I'm, I worked with a coach too, that helped me in a number of ways, uh, thinking about how I could be more strategic in finding local people. And she helped me knowing that I don't have a strong face-to-face marketing muscle, (laughs) even though she continued to urge me to flex it. Um, so she, she found other ways that worked for me and, and helped me get started. There's one more that we, I think, forgot to talk about, which is yeah. an in-person tactic. And that is um, to host a workshop. And oh, yeah. We, you kind of touched on them with the Denver thing, but tell me about what you've done that's yeah. been successful. Well, and I haven't done one here, but I've done them in Denver and I intend, I'm working on one to, to do locally. But the one I did in Denver was I had a realtor friend and a contractor friend who uh, the three of us hosted a monthly happy hour and we split the tab uh, and we invited people to come. So Denver was a very hot market. Uh, real estate costs were soaring over the last five, 10 years. And it was squeezing people into this position of, you know, a lot of people were outgrowing their home and they were asking themselves these questions of, you know, we really love our neighborhood, but we can't afford to move within our same neighborhood do we renovate or relocate? And so, because a lot of the uh, neighboring suburban areas were growing because people with families were moving there because it was more affordable. And so they were stuck on this question and, and trying to evaluate their options. So this was an opportunity for them to come talk to all three of us and talk about their um, ultimate decisions and getting cost and pricing and what, what do things look like. And so the three of us each had our own offering, so to speak. Um, but we, we just came and talked to people and gave our advice and, um, they could ask us anything and it was free. And I think we did this once a month and our bar tab was probably $150 totals. We would give people their first drink, right? If they wanted more, <laughs> that would be on them. But, um, uh, and we, they, the restaurant gave us bar they gave us like little tickets to give people. So that was the way we kept it in check. So between the three of us, it was like $50 and, um, you know, we each got a couple of clients out of it. At least our, our names were spread around. So that's one, um, you, you could host anything you want that you feel is your wheelhouse. And that is something that you can talk about and share this weekend. I'm actually going back to Denver to host a mood boarding workshop. And I hope to bring that same one back to Waco soon. And I will be there because that sounds like so much fun. Oh, yay. And think about what your clients would like to do, like floral arranging, wine and chocolate tasting, like something kind of fun that would really, I think, attract an upscale crowd, the kind of people that you want to be working with, with the kind of interest that they are into. Yeah. And also find those kind of events. Yes. Uh, I mean, I've gone to so many charitable events and classes and workshops myself just to get to know people. And that's another way that you can, can make friends. So the Woodway wine tour is, was a fun one. I met a couple of people there. Um, the Mardi Gras ball, which I also was a volunteer on the board there. That was a fun one. We just went to the Casa Advocacy Center. I'm also paying attention to who are the guys and women holding up their paddles and bidding on these silent auction things because, you know, those are people with expendable income and they're going to charitable events and they're, they're bidding on high dollar items and, and they believe in the same causes you do. So there's a natural connection point. Precisely. There's a conversation starter. Precisely. So um, it all is this, you know, ecosystem of in-person and online. And um, I think, you know, that's probably a good, good place to wrap things up. Absolutely. Let's recap kind of the three big takeaways from today's episode. Uh, the first one is, I know we didn't talk about this specifically, but I think it's really important to choose two or three marketing tactics and focus in. It's so easy to spread yourself thin and try to do every marketing event and all the social networks and all the things because you know the wider your reach, the more fish clients you will catch. And I really don't believe that's true. I think it's important to find what your strengths are, pick a few, and really focus in, give it enough time and enough money to measure your results and course correct as needed. But don't let yourself get overwhelmed by the 50 ideas we gave you today. Pick the few that resonate the strongest with you and will bring you closest to your ideal clients quickly. Love it. Um, 
balance your in-person and online presence. Find out what, what your strength is. If, if you are more of an introvert or shy when it comes to social settings, find other ways to just naturally get to meet people and friends in an environment that doesn't feel like you're um, necessarily pitching. But if you do have more um, strength in that area, by all means, do not hesitate to find a way to go out and shout from the rooftop what it is that that you do. Um, but get out from behind your computer and go meet people. Totally. And finally, we've said it a few times, people buy from who they know, like, and trust. Get out there, make friends, bring value. And that word is so tossed around, but bring value means give great information and advice, be available, be someone that is an authority in your field and make them want more. Put content out there that they want to come back and see and be someone who is a friend. They know, like, and trust you. They become clients very quickly when they need your services. All right. Yeah, girl. There we go. I'm, I'm probably going to go home and pack some boxes now and start doing some more online marketing. Have an awesome week. Bye. Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.